Good morning. Last week we said that sometimes a little is really a lot. But it's conversely true that sometimes a lot is a little. If I were in the back of the hallway, the foyer out there, and I saw a $5 bill, doesn't look like anybody lost it, and I picked it up and said, hey, why don't you just take it? You might go, oh, thanks, put it in your pocket. But now if I'm giving it to some kid walking out of the children's center, he's five years old, and I said, hey, buddy, why don't you have that? Whoa! To him, it's a lot. To you, it's not all that much. It happened to me about 25 years ago. Somebody gave Diane and me a $100 gift card to Morton's. I never heard of Morton's. I thought, I'll take the family. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. Because that gift card next to the Morton's menu, it seemed like a lot, but it wasn't when I got there. It's also true if you've got a, a down-filled winter coat. Do you know it takes down off of 75 birds to fill that coat? Now, 75 birds seems to me like a lot of birds. It's really not that much when you're thinking of one lousy winter coat, right? It's a principle that Jesus teaches even when he tells a parable within an encounter he has with a man he meets. It's Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. This parable within an encounter forces us to deal with some money matters. It teaches us that a lot can end up being very little or in fact nothing at all at the end of your life. A lot is a little, first of all, when you fail to be all in. This man comes to Jesus he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. There's some family issue. I've certainly been there with plenty of funerals where family members started fighting about money at the casket before the lid was closed. It happens. He wants Jesus to defend him. He's been treated unfairly. Now, Jesus wasn't part of that legal system to be able to officially address that. So why in the world would this man come to Jesus thinking that he would? Well, it's probably because if he's been around Jesus at all, he knows that Jesus has a lot to say about money. In fact, if you just read through Luke, you find that through and through. In chapter 11, it's mostly about money. Chapter 12 of Luke is mostly about money. Chapter 16 of Luke is mostly about money. When John the Baptist is calling people to repentance, announcing the coming of the kingdom, the soldiers say, well, what should we do to show repentance? He said, stop being greedy. Be glad for the riches or the wages that you have. Jesus denounces the Pharisees in Luke 16 because they're lovers of money. 
In Luke chapter 19, Jesus goes to the home of Zacchaeus, and as a result of Jesus coming into his life, Zacchaeus gives away half of his wealth. Eleven of Jesus' 39 parables have to do with money. That is about 28% of the time that Jesus opened his mouth, it was about money. No wonder this man came to Jesus thinking that he would get involved in this financial dispute. It seems that Jesus wants us all to understand that giving is at the very center, it's the very core of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. For instance, we would all agree that three of the great virtues of being a disciple are faith, hope, and love. There would be no debate about that. And yet, when it comes to matters of faith, we will say, well, I can't really afford to give because I'm not sure I'll have, be able to get, make ends meet. In that case, you don't have a generosity problem. You have a faith problem. You might say your hope is in the Lord. You may sing that well. But if it's so important to you to have the right clothes, to drive the right car, to live in the right neighborhood, to have the right title, to be able to eat the right restaurants, if all that's so important to you, your hope is not really where you think it is, the bottom line, you don't have a generosity problem, you have a hope problem. When it comes to the area of love, you say, well, yes, I'm, I'm, I love God with all that I am. That being true, it ought to mean that you also love people so much, you see people, you care about people, you get involved with addressing their physical needs, even around us, to get to their spiritual needs, and you, you believe in making an impact in the world through money so the gospel can be announced. Now, if that's not true for you, you don't have a generosity problem. You have a love problem. You don't see people as being lost and needing to be rescued from hell and damnation. You see, being a disciple is being able to say, being able to say all I have is yours. Everything. You just, just travel through Acts 4, 5, and 9. And you see a church that was sold out to Jesus Christ, and there was radical generosity. Early in the fourth century, there was Emperor Julian the Apostate. He wanted, he, he hated Christianity. He wanted to turn the, the kingdom back to paganism. It was tough to accomplish by that time because the Christian message had touched so many people in the world at that time. And he became so frustrated that in a rare moment of honesty, he said, those Christians not only feed their own poor, but they feed ours as well. Giving is at the heart of everything. You can't love God. You can't love people. You can't love the world well without radical generosity. A lot is a little also when you try to use God. Jesus refuses to get involved with this man's query of him. It's, he says here, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? That word arbiter means divide. Who appointed me to do that? It's confusing a bit because Jesus, in a sense, came to divide. In fact, at the end of this very chapter, he says he is a divider. Verses 49 to 51 are tough verses. They say, I have, he says, I've come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo that, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Jesus is an arbiter. 
He's a divider. You can't meet Jesus and be unchanged. There's only two responses. We either fall on our faces in worship and adoration and submission and obedience, or we get away from as fast as we can because we can't stand being in his presence. That's what happens to us when we meet Jesus. So either you see him or not. Jesus is saying to this man, look, I didn't come for this kind of judgment. I didn't come to make this kind of decision for you and divide it between you two boys that are struggling. I didn't come for that. You see, if you come, he's saying, if you come to me for this kind of, with this kind of request before before coming to me with all you have, before letting me divide you away from the world and bring you to myself, then you really don't get me. You don't understand my message. You don't understand why I'm sent to the world. I have been sent here to rescue people from, a, from, a, from hopelessness and from lostness and from being cut off from my father forever and ever. But yet our tendency is to use God, isn't it? It just is. We're fallen people, and we want to use God for our own purposes. And so he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, you know the commandments. You know the Ten Commandments. And one of them is about greed. It says, you shall not covet. Did you remember that one? I tend to forget that one. I kind of weigh on the heavy things like adultery and murder. I feel very, pretty good about those two. When it gets to the coveting part and the greeting part, hmm, it's a little different story. You know, I, I, I like to be rather flexible in which sins I focus on. It makes me feel more comfortable. I've been in ministry for 41 years. Through those years, lots of people come to me, talk about issues in their lives, sins in their lives, problems, struggles, brokenness. I've never had once anybody come to my office for an appointment to talk about their greed problem. Why? Because none of us think we are. That's their problem, not mine. And I want to tell you, friends, I have a greed problem. If I get a car within a month, I want another one. Because I saw one that looked better, that I like better. I got to stay away from malls. They don't help me. Yeah? Uh, I, I have this bent, and I have to watch it all the time. Yet if there's one thing that comes to us in 10,000 seductive voices, it's this message of the world, the kingdom of this world that says, your life does consist of what you have and what you can buy through magazines and newspapers and billboards and television and radio. Everything, every message that comes to us in 10,000 ways is about your life consists of the things we have to sell you. And we begin to believe it. We even start treating Jesus that way. Jesus, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian. Will you make or marry me? God, I'm, I'm being serious about the Bible now for the first time in my life. Would you make sure the coach puts me in? I need a scholarship. God, I feel, I'm, 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 I'm really starting to go. I'm, man, I'm digging in your word now. Yeah, I'm really digging. Can I get that promotion, by the way? This kind of bargaining technique we use. 
with God that he owes me if I'm getting serious. And Jesus says, look, I, I saved you not, not to address your agenda, but to revolutionize your heart so that my agenda becomes your agenda. That's what he's about. If you show up, in fact, and give Jesus your money first before giving him your life, then you're using him. Third, a lot is a, a little when you live life as a fool. A fool is somebody who ignores or even hates uh, God's definition of life in the world. Money made this man a fool. He thought he had a lot, but he really was in spiritual poverty and he didn't know it. Money blinded this man because he thought having a lot meant abundance. Now, I doubt this guy's a bad guy. In fact, I've, I've met farmers in my life. We have a few farmers here in the church. I've never met an atheistic farmer. I mean, farmers are good people. They're kind of salt of the earth kind of people, you know? They're God-fearing people. Uh, the kind of people you'd, you'd want in your life. Uh, that's how farmers are. I think this guy in the, in the story, he may have been a God-fearing man himself. He just forgot who blessed him. This man saved as if this life was all there is. So he says, I'll just, I, I can take life easy now, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, this is a physical world. And being a physical world, we, we should save up. We should save some things for the unexpected and to prepare for life's uncertainties. But, in fact, if we don't, we're pretty idiotic. We need to change about that. But... This man saw this physical world as all there is. He saved everything for himself. He forgot that he was in the dying process. And that message is around us all. I mean, I held my, I remember holding my, my uh, granddaughter in my lap, and she starts pointing out my wrinkles. <laughs> the little brat. <laughs> and it was God saying to me through her, you're dying. Every time I go to do a funeral, every time I drive past a cemetery, every time I see an obituary, every time I see a, a tragedy in the world, God's message is, look, you're dying, White. And we are. We are. God tells us only two things last. You've heard me say it. Isaiah the prophet says, the word of God stands forever. And people are here for eternity in one place or the other. The word and people. That's it. Nothing else lasts. And because of that, even Jesus, remember he taught in Luke 16 about the, the unjust steward. At the end of that, he came to his senses. And he knew he was being challenged to make friends for heaven. That's what we're to be doing as a church Brothers and sisters, we, we make friendships with unbelievers because we're making friends for heaven. We're investing our money in heaven where we're going. We're putting our treasure there by investing in people. That's what we do. That's what believers do. So when we invest in people through ministry of his church, we're investing in heaven. The money also blinded this man because he thought having a lot meant success. You see, the principle of spiritual progress is empty your barns. That's one of the ways we learn, learn what it is to have life in Jesus. You want to have life? Jesus says, give it away. Die to yourself so I can make you know what life is all about. And I can give you life. I can breathe life into you. You, you want to you, you, you 
Uh, you know, want to know what's important in life? Then lay yourself down. Die to self, or else you'll be a fool. That's how the world sees us. The Apostle Paul wrote, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And Jesus Christ proved it by the cross. He emptied himself that we might be made full. He won by losing. He, he did not consider grasping God's glory, maintaining his glorious position in heaven, something to be held onto. But he, he left that to come here. And what ultimately happened, he was exalted to the right hand of his father and given authority over all that is. He had no money, no name, no, I mean, no home, no organization, no no publicity moves, yet today he's the most influential man that ever walked the planet and would continue to be that way. It's been proven over and over again who the sane one is and who the crazy people are. All of the religions are about storing up. That's why the emphasis on good works, earning your way. That's all a, a storing up mentality. I will store and store and store so that I can somehow attain to everlasting life. That's not how it works. Jesus said, you can't come to me like that. You can't come to me bringing all your list of great things you have done and think that, that merits your entry into eternal riches. Nope, it doesn't work that way. You have to give it up. You have to give it up. Christianity says, I'm empty. And God said, then come on in. I'll, I'll fill you up. We go to God with hands that are full, lives that are full, to show him how good we are. How dare we do that? The problem is money blinds us to all that. And we can fix things by our affluence so easily. Go through pains and we have ways to numb ourselves with money. It serves as a salve, a balm. Now let me assume you get, we all get what Jesus is saying. Now remember, I, I say you a lot, but I'm, I've been walking with this a long time. I need a breather, so I'm putting it on you today, okay? This text is hard. It's hard, this teaching. If you, get, if you hear God's word today, well, how do I overcome? How, how, you have to be rich toward God. We'll never understand the heartbeat of the kingdom, not fully, until we learn to be rich toward him. Not just in money, but our service, our energies, our talents. 2, Timothy, 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, Though he was rich, he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. What's that mean? Well, that's... 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Jesus gave up his entitlements. He gave up what is due him. Here's how you know you are filled by him, you are changed by him, you are clothed by him. This is how you know you have been made rich by his work on the cross. Your money isn't precious to you anymore. It's not precious to you anymore. It doesn't have a hold on you. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're after my money, aren't you? Maybe. But for God's glory and for the sake of the kingdom and for your faith's sake and my faith's sake, that's why. People who learn Radical generosity 
are demonstrating how rich they know they are because of Jesus. Jesus said to the Pharisee, you tithe. It's the it's one time Jesus approves the tithe. He says, you tithe. That's good. But you overlook love and justice. He says, keep doing the former, but make sure you focus on the latter. Otherwise, you're like a, a dirty bowl on the outside, a, a clean bowl on the outside that's dirty on the inside. Make sure both are clean. He wants you. That's what he wants. He wants you. But the percent we give him shows whether he has us or not. It shows that. So if, so, so if this is one of the ways, practical ways. You look at this baseline, just the, in, the ba beginning baseline of 10%. If you hear that announced and you think, 10% ain't no way I'm ever going to do that. You don't know what riches are yet. You don't understand what's happened to you. If you look at 10% and you say, eh, how bad, I'm doing 10%. You still don't get it. But if you look at 10% and think, how could I dare be satisfied with that when he's done so much for me? You're on your way to knowing how rich you really are. Consider the fly and the fly paper. There's the fly who lands on the flypaper and says, my flypaper. And the flypaper says, my fly. And the fly's dead. Now, don't misunderstand. Money's not bad. Money's good. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. Many of God's servants were wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. Job was wealthy. David was, was wealthy. Solomon was wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea was wealthy. Mary Martha Lazarus were wealthy. Some of the, the, those early believers were wealthy. It's, it's, not, it's not about that of itself. But for every time the Bible will speak of the benefit of money, it'll give us 10 warnings about the damage money will do if we let it preoccupy us. It's one thing to have money. It's another thing. When money has us. They say that money can't buy happiness. I don't believe it. I believe money does buy happiness. Because I've seen it happen in the lives of lots of disciples. Who buy happiness by giving money away for the cause of Christ. And they become joyful. <laughs> they become full and overflowing. Because they've learned how fun it is to be Radically generous for the kingdom. See, when you know how rich you are, then we will give richly as well. And you get another perk too. Because on the day you die and they bury you, God won't come down and write on your tombstone, you fool. I sense, Father, perhaps I've humored you today because you know my own struggle with money. And I'm announcing this to your people. But I stand, Father, again, convicted 
I want to do well for you. I want to be radical in generosity. And I trust my, my brothers and sisters want the same. And so thank you for the light of your word. Help us to take you at your word. Believe in your word. Teach us again, even as we continue to worship, that we are rich indeed. And that same joy with which we sing will be the same joy we have as we learn to give. So forgive us, Father, for stinginess, for playing everything close to home, and for not being living the free life you have called us to, of being radical and giving of our resources to kingdom work. Thank you for your word. Thank you for people. Thank you for Jesus that focuses our eyes to see them both. To God be the glory in Jesus' name.